Welcome to the Unfinished Work Show. This is episode 12, and I am Mike Lake in the building. Fresh back from my bachelor party. Had a great, 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 great time out in Austin, Texas. Man, was it was it fun. Uh, more pictures to come. I say more like I posted some here. Let me rephrase that. Pictures to come. If you want to check them out, check them out on my uh, Instagram at I am Mike Lake. While I'm thinking about it, make sure you subscribe, hit the like button, share this video to somebody you think that can use it, and uh, let's get to this work on the Unfinished Work Show. Uh, here for episode 12, we're going to talk about weak links. Now, in of itself, I don't usually like to talk or speak from a negative position or really negative about anything without some type of solution at hand, except sometimes when you're in the process of improving yourself and putting in that work, you have to address the weaknesses within or whatever structure you're trying to improve, whether that be a team or your personal life, your relationship, uh, your mindset or work or whatever. If you're starting a business, anything, you, you have to look at those weak links, identify them and address them directly. I did it again. I said this last week. I don't know what that sassy little pop is about. Um, <laughs> it's very weird. But before I get to any of that, we'll get to weak links in a second. Let's talk about the bachelor party. So we did arrive in Austin. I think we were there for a total of four days. I had no problems getting there. Uh, unlike a couple bachelor parties ago when I got stranded in two different airports trying to get to and from Puerto Rico. But that's a whole different story. Uh, salute to the homie Jerry's bachelor party. But on this one, smooth sailing, uh, with the exception of I was rocking with crutches and the uh, boot for my for my fractured or broken toe. Uh, let's just say broken, just for ease of speaking. And the only upside to it is that I was able to get some, I would say, elevated aid, if you will. No, not the wheelchair service rolling me down. I refuse all that. But I was able to get on first boarding on both flights to and from uh, Austin and back. So that was super cool. I actually met a couple cool people. Uh, one lady on the way noted my shirt. I had on one of my Lutz uh, Grace Family Church shirts and she happened to be from Lutz or live in Lutz. And she was like, hey, what's Lutz? What's that about? I was like, oh, this is my church shirt. Um, have you ever heard of this Grace Family Church? And she's like, yeah. She's like, oh, that's the church is always creating all the traffic, keeping me from getting home. I was like, you need to be up in there. And she laughed. I was like, no, really? Like, if you're a churchgoer, why don't you come in and see what's going on? And she said she'd think about it. So I don't know. Maybe she'll show up. I probably won't see her because there's mad people out there. But um, God will. <laughs> so salute to that lady on the way, uh, the flight attendant at, I think it was American Airlines. And then on the way back, I met a cool dude. I forget his name. Major, Major something. He's a major in the Army. Um, he was chopping it up with me. He actually reminded me of my grandfather, which was really cool. Just in his look and his affect, uh, older black man, you know, just, I'm sure we identify with each other in that. I probably reminded him of his, uh, kids or grandkids. And we were just talking and chatting about the bachelor party. He told me he had his in Okinawa, Japan, which sounded super dope. I would love to get out to Japan, uh, here soon within the next like say year or so i don't know i, I kind of want to see what japan got cracking over there in terms of like museums and sightseeing and, and things like that food i guess i'm not 
quite a foodie like that, but I'm not against food either. But neither here nor there. He said his bachelor party was amazing. He said he got in all kind of trouble, respectfully, to his wife, who was right in front of us, uh, right in front of him. In fact, they had them lined up in wheelchairs. Uh, but we were just chopping it up, and, and he basically um, recognized my name, which happens from time to time here in Tampa. My grandfather is from the Tarpon Springs area, but taught in Tampa for 50 plus years. And um, he played piano in the churches here and was a part of just a bunch of different organizations and things in Tampa. I'll, I'll tell y'all about him a lot. He's a big inspiration for my service ethic because he taught it to my dad and he and my dad both taught it to me um, that we utilize our skills and our talents to provide service. So my grandfather is known around these streets, which used to create chaos when I go to the store with him trying to rush to get back to playing basketball before the sunset. And he would be talking to any and everybody because he knows everybody. I digress. Uh, he recognized my name. He was like, what's your name? I said, Michael Lake. He said, Lake sounds familiar. And we just start kind of comparing notes. And, you know, for the most part, since he'd been stationed in Tampa uh, from his midlife, he probably came across my grandfather somewhere. But we just couldn't quite pinpoint it in the time that we had uh, before we got on a plane. But then we actually ended up in the same seat in the same like me him and my brother were in the same three seats on the plane so coincidence but we was chopping it up really cool guy he told us some some personal stuff about his family rest in peace to his grandson and and other things y'all don't know him but i felt touched by his presence and just speaking with older folks is something that you should do from time to time because it's a cool cool thing to do you'll learn a lot um especially since uh as I was saying, he lost to his grandson, and here I am saying he reminded me of my grandfather who passed about eight to ten years ago, and uh, we just just kind of had a little moment. It was cool. Salute to to Major whatever his last name was. I, I think I don't remember because we got interrupted by somebody asking a question. But again, I digress. Austin was amazing. We spent a lot of time at the pool. We spent a lot. One of the days out at Lake Travis. If you ever go out to Austin, look up Lake Travis. Charter you a boat with a captain so you can drink and party and go out there and link up with all the boats like we did. That was super fun. I mean, we do stuff like that here in Tampa, but theirs was like on a lake, which was a little bit different. Fresh water, super deep. You need a floaty or something because you ain't finna be swimming for four hours. But overall, super cool experience. I was flying my drone out there. Everybody's having a good time. We drinking shots with people four boats down and all kind of crazy stuff. And people on our boat and just this whole cool little social uh interaction thing out there everybody in party mode so anyway that was uh austin austin was super hot though man my goodness uh, i'll credit one of the homies i think don said it when we got back how texas like austin texas heat humbled us put us in our place man we thought we was like oh we from florida moderate tropical temperatures year-round summers nah bro that desert it's just different. There's no water. There's no cooling effects. There's no random midday rains to bring things down. There's no humidity. It's just dry, dry, dry heat. It felt at times, and if I'm remembering right, Vegas sun felt like it was stinging, like it was sharp. But and it created this obviously this ambient heat, ambient heat out there. But Texas just felt like a legitimate oven when we were. <laughs> I think I even added the joke that it felt like a uh, air fryer because even when the wind was blowing, it was like warm and hot air, just kind of whooshing, never any respite until the sunset. And then it got to what we know here in Florida.
But be careful if you if you're going out there. I think my fiance is actually going to be out there in a couple weeks, um, celebrating her bachelorette party with her bachelorettes. And um, yeah, we just keep the sunblock ready, keep a lot of water ready, find the shady spots, um, and all of that. Bachelor party was amazing. Salute to each and every one of my what do you call them bachelors? I don't know my friends, the guys who put it on for me, the guys who helped plan it and execute it and party with me and spent their time and their money to come celebrate with your boy. I felt a lot of love and it was, it was dope. So thank you to everybody involved. Uh, while I'm on it, while we were out there, me and my brother was capturing some footage for his uh, nature channel. If uh, shameless plug three, six, five rest. And I film a lot of drone shots and, and nature shots for him. And he creates these like uh, relaxing, landscapes uh, videoscapes let's call them for people that like that that kind of thing you want to throw something on in the background some soft music maybe a running babbling creek or something we create those and um with the natural like landscape of what's happening around here in uh in the florida area as i drive around florida daily for work uh but that's neither here nor there we was out there capturing footage of the downtown uh city line and the area uh, all around uh the congress building and all the downtown shops and all that stuff. But we were on top of one of the garages at one point, just filming and, and clowning. I was actually chasing him with the drone. <laughs> and uh, this dude rolled up. And I, I could tell he was security, top flight. He rolled up. I thought he was going to kick us out because it was kind of like an office building uh, garage. And he rolled up to me. He was like, hey, man. I was like, hey, how you doing? He said, um, everything good? I was like, yeah, just hanging out, capturing some footage. He said, okay, cool. Started to drive off and he stopped. He kind of backed up. I'm like, oh, here we go. And I didn't like change my demeanor or nothing. I, I always meet, greet people with a smile and, and it was, you know, eye contact and respectful conversational voice. I'm not doing nothing. We're just standing up there. And uh, he pulled back. He's like, hey, man, I, I don't know. I just felt the need to tell you this, but it seems like it's just something like you look like you've been touched by God and that um, he's with you. And I just was like taken back by that moment because I really thought he was about to kick me out. But then to receive a compliment like that, I don't know what he saw on me, but salute to him and God bless him. Uh, but he just said that, shot me that, that dope compliment and rolled out. And I felt really good, like I was riding high for the rest of the day. Like it's one thing to be practicing and building a relationship is another thing for random people to just be like, I see it on you. And uh, that was super cool. So salute to that dude. Uh, I was debating... I was debating if I wanted to address this publicly because I don't normally like to make like resolutions or declarations. But one thing I'll share with you about the bachelor party. Well, two, first of all, seeing being there with my friends, I we were hugging and high fiving, laughing and joking for four days straight. I don't think we did that in a, in a while like that. It felt legitimately good to just be around the homies. There was drinking and partying, but I didn't do a whole lot of it um, except the Saturday night before we flew back on Sunday, I did get drunk, which actually brings me to the point. While I was drunk, I kind of had an epiphany. If y'all follow me here, if this is your first time watching, uh, listen up. I've been doing a challenge called 75 Hard, and a part of that challenge requires no drinking to maintain the challenge, along with a host of other things, such as working out, dieting, and reading every day, drinking water, whatever, whatever. I was doing that. I broke my toe in the midst of this process. And that was right before the bachelor party. So I still hadn't had a drink. I think I was at 49 days when I stopped the challenge. At this point, it's probably about 54 days. And we're out there on the trip. And I finally have like a first drink. Nothing. Felt nothing. 
not in the sense of like the drink didn't feel like nothing. I had a, a glass of Woodford. Woodford Reserve is my favorite whiskey. And what I'm saying is I drank. I had a few drinks. I was being social, nothing excessive, no shots or nothing, but I got nothing from it. I felt nothing like, not that I ever felt like I got something from it in the past, but it's always that like physical relaxation of inebriation. Like you're drinking. I felt nothing on day one, nothing on day two, got to day three, switched to tequila, felt plenty drunk, especially since some of the homies was buying shots. And in the midst of that drunkenness at what I will quote Jerry as saying, I ain't seen you that drunk in a very long time. I remember sitting down after we were watching MMA and, and just kind of thinking to myself, like, nah, this ain't it, man. This, this ain't like, I'm not feeling the vibe and it's not the vibe of what was happening. We were having a good time. We were dancing and talking and running around and the fights were good. Uh, but it just was the feeling like I could have been doing everything I was doing while not drinking and would have been just as fine. In fact, I actually ended up going home early, partially because I was tired and my foot was starting to ache a little bit, my toe. Uh, but also I was like, man, I'm drunk. I'm, you know, we going up and downstairs. My footing is shaky. My thoughts is, is a little scattered in, in the sense that uh, you could feel the like weight on your discipline start to wane a little bit and not anything excessive, but just like wandering eyes and things of that nature. And I was like, I'm really just not feeling it. I'm, I wasn't feeling it. And it was what it was. It was no bad feeling. I feel like, you know, running to the bathroom, make myself throw up or nothing like that. But I just didn't like how I felt in that moment. And I decided to wrap it up, went home, grabbed some food or home back to the hotel, grabbed some food and uh, went to sleep. And even that whole process of being sleep, waking up, how I felt in the morning, I wasn't hung over or anything, but I definitely felt it like I was drinking. And I think I might, you know, except for social settings, a drink or two here or there, I might be done with the pursuit of being drunk, at least for right now. Because it doesn't feel the same. There's no need to chase it and pursue it. It just doesn't hit like it used to hit. And, you know, I don't know. I, I, I just kind of like an honesty box moment of what I felt in the moment while it was happening to each everybody own. I said that wrong to each everybody's own that they can drink and I could be around people while they drink. Uh, in fact, all my friends and family were drinking and they were having a good time, but it, I just did, I didn't need to be that drunk. And I didn't, I wasn't vibing with it when I was, who knows, maybe that'd be different if I'm with my girl or something, you know, I don't know. We'll be on date night. Maybe I'll check it out. But even that, like, why do I have to be drunk? I, I don't know. I'll keep y'all posted. It's, it's actively like active thought. I got back from the trip. I think about it on the plane. I had a conversation with one of my homies who just kind of asked how the trip was. And um, yeah, I, I just, that was one of the takeaways. I loved seeing all my homies and feeling super loved and getting hugs and daps and watching. Even there was a moment on one of the days where my brother and Steve, which is basically my brother, where they were bonding, even though they were nagging the hell out of me, they were bonding and just laughing and cackling and having a grand old time. And that was even dope to kind of see because they've known each other for as long as we've known each other, 25 plus years. And uh, I don't think I've ever really seen them to just kick it like without me. The reason was I was driving and I was sober and they were drinking. Uh, but neither here nor there, like some of those takeaways were dope. I, I had some good feels. I had some highs. I had some great moments and some good memories. And then there was just this opposite feeling when I got back to the thought process of like, how did I feel when I was drunk? 
I didn't feel amazing. I didn't feel super. I didn't feel like I was on top of the world or none of that stuff. That some of the better moments during that trip was actually when I was sober or mostly sober uh, versus the time when I was actually really drunk. So that's that. I'll keep y'all posted. No sweeping declaration or nothing like that. Just an observation of how I felt in the moment where I was at and where I still sit here almost what? A week later, we left Thursday. So yeah, <laughs> a week later, I still kind of feel it. I really haven't had the opportunity to drink. But um, when it arises, I'm not saying I won't have a drink. But moderation is key, I think. I think the Bible says that. With that said, let's get into weak links. I don't necessarily need, so I've identified it, and now I'm going to address it in such a way to where um, you'll see the visible change, just like the other changes you've seen. When I said I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. I did it with the fitness. I did it with my faith. I did it with my family and my relationship. I've done it with my business and my work and my and my show and, and reaching out to people and trying to be inspirational and all of these things. And this is just one of those add to the list kind of watch me work around my old habit of drinking. Um, so Malcolm Gladwell, I was watching a video and I really, if you haven't come to realize it by now, I, I love this dude's um, mindset. He's an intellectual, he's a journalist, he used to work for the Washington Post, and now he's just one of those guys that's known around for his intellectual takes. His He gives speeches at colleges, and this isn't an introduction of him. How dope would that be if he just like came in here? But no, he, he's a guy that I follow and I look up to as a, as a, a perspective intellectual myself, that uh, one day, you know, when I write a book and I'm able to go and give these talks and do these things that I aspire to do, that I'm... I, I, I've followed in the steps of somebody who I've admired for a while. I think currently to date, there's no author I've read more of their books than Malcolm Gladwell. And I don't know, just super dope books like Blink and, uh, and others. I'm not going to look him up. He's a, he's a good guy. A lot of, a lot of stats. He's a statistician. He writes really well. His podcast is super dope and the speeches are fun to watch. He always makes a great point to make you look at situations you might've already been aware of in a different way and he backs that up with stats and facts i mean that basically is a journalist what i described but in any case he was talking to i want to say it was penn state one of those ivy league colleges he was talking to the university of penn or somebody out there and they they invited him, him in to discuss with uh, their i believe it was the financial group doesn't matter who it was and he was just talking about this idea that there are weak links uh in in the sense of we are tackling problems in our society the right way that there are two different games being played. So we should probably be funding schools, uh, the millions of dollars that are being funded in, into like Penn state, uh, to the Ivy league colleges like Harvard and Yale and Stanford, because the game that education is, is actually a weak link game. And that the strongest in that group doesn't need another million dollars, another endowment from a millionaire for them to build a, a, a wing of dorms in that person's name with a bunch of fancy amenities. What we actually need as a country, because we are one team, is for us to put some of that funding into the quote unquote weaker schools or the lesser funded schools. Because when you look at it at a clip, the Ivy League only uh, educates approximately 100,000 students each. 
as opposed to the remainder of the other colleges, which educate the rest of the country and they aren't being funded properly and they're not given the proper uh, teachers and, and, and all these other things that are necessary. I don't mean amenities and like higher level stuff. You know, we live in a capitalistic country. So do with that as you will. We're talking about just a pure, raw education that some of these schools, I think he quoted, it was Harvard as having the GDP of more than like half the countries in the world that these this school itself has an endowment of multiple billions of dollars. Why do they need another couple of mil from some rich guy just for the clout? But the point he was making about weak links and strong links, like weak link games and strong link games is that a game like basketball is a strong link game. And what he was referring to is a study that was done by uh, some statisticians who were looking into this very thing that in a team game, if you improve the best player on your team, I think they set up all the players in that particular game with a ranking from zero to a hundred in terms of how good they were. And in a basketball game, when you increase your best player, say he ranked 75 and you boost him 25 points up to, uh, let's say 20 points up to 95, that that does improve the team, but not as much as in a different sport like soccer, where you take the lowest ranked player. And if you improve them by 20 points, skill points, that it boosts the overall team percentages, chances to win every game and the championship more multiple, like by a multiple of like, I believe it was like four or five. So just with this one change in a difference of game that in a game like basketball, you got guys like LeBron and Curry and, and these guys and basketball is a strong link game because the strongest person can carry a whole team. I think he even cited Kobe and Shaq with a team of, uh, let's say role players. You got Steph Curry and I don't know, let's say Draymond and a team of role players. You got in these last championships, like even if you want to call it a bubble chip or not, the Lakers having AD and LeBron and then a team of role players. That's how basketball works. It's a strong link game. Improve your best player. Your team improve, improves. But a weak link game like soccer, because every player has to touch the ball at some point while they're out on that pitch, that you should actually, instead of, you know, what, what he was citing was like people would buy into a team and the first thing they would do is spend a bunch of money on a big player like Messi or or um, Neymar or somebody like that. When in fact, you do want those players if you can get them, but you should invest the majority of your money into the weaker links on the, on the pitch because that will give you a better chance of winning overall. It's just not as sexy, though. And that in our education system, we have a weak link game where it doesn't matter how much the top 1% gets educated. The bottom 99 can drag the rest of the country down. And there's reasons like that why we're not competitive on the global on the global market. We're not competitive in the workplace. We don't have the right financiers in place. We may have a couple, a couple of top stars that can, you know, crank out a, a new this or that or start a new tech company or, or do something, to, you know, Amazon-y like that. But imagine if the majority of the country or education system was funded in such a way where all the edu the people who go for higher education had an equal playing field and not equality like everybody gets a trophy. I'm talking about just sheer what they can learn, that the engineers are taught to a certain standard, that the you know anybody in STEM, anybody in it, even going back into education or anybody in any of these infrastructure type jobs that it not just go to the top 1% who can afford it or can get scholarships, 
that we should be focusing on some of these smaller, lesser funded colleges in that sense. And I and it, that's actually what inspired the, the title of this episode. When you look at the majority of the games we play, people enter into these games not really quite understanding the nature of the game. So back to my metaphor that I started with. If I was telling you you were playing a game and that I'm not going to tell you the rules, you probably observe the game as best you can, figure out which game we're playing, and then adapt to that. And as soon as you adapt, we'll switch the game and we'll just move it on to the next uh, game to put you at a disadvantage. And while you're trying to figure that out, we're working through it, getting our points and all that, and we're moving on to the next game. So what happens is, and this came to mind in a very specific situation, but I'll just share. I was having a convo with someone about Airbnbs. They're like, yeah, I want to get into the Airbnb game. And I was like, no, that's not necessarily a good idea. It's not a bad idea, but it's not a good idea as it sounded four or five years ago. Because four or five years ago, Airbnb was on the rise. And I don't mean rise like, let me not say rise. Airbnb was good enough to get you some passive income if you can fund enough to buy a house somewhere and keep people in it. But the problem that Airbnb is having, which I saw in a CNBC report uh, on Airbnb, the company's struggling and they're trying to figure out the next way that they can keep things moving because they have two problems right now. Massively just overstock like a, they have more stock meaning more available houses than people trying to use that and that's the other problem is that people at this point due to all the bad press and the news and terrible uh what do they call them landlords that are jumping into the game just to make a quick buck and they're not keeping the standards to a certain level when airbnb first started it was a great alternative to the hotels you can save some money you can get a nice little stay you get a more cozy or intimate look at a city or something like that. But the more people started adding, adding, um, what do they call it? Inventory. That's what they have. They have an overabundance of inventory. The more inventory that gets added, people sign up for the app. Then the houses start popping up in these janky areas with these makeshift, like facade, like repairs where people were like busting through walls and finding the cracked dens on the other side and all these little shady Ed, people trying to cut corner tactics started to hurt them in the bad press, which means less people are using Airbnb and because of all the fees and inflation and all the stuff that's happening to everyone in the country, Airbnb is hitting their landlords with fees and the fees are being transferred to the consumer. So now it's not even a cheaper option. That combination of not as many people using it and not, and way too many homes available means if you're jumping into that market right now, without doing a proper research on where your Airbnb is going to be, how to market it, et cetera, et cetera. You might have a house. You might take some shortcuts to get a loan and do something to get into that house to then put it on the market. No one ever chooses you because your house is in a, in a crap area. And now you just sitting on this house with this loan and you're in debt and you're playing an old game by the, by the old rules, pre COVID rules. You might be thinking Airbnb is a good sense of passive income. But the game moved on. They on to the next thing, whatever that is. If I had to say off the head, I don't know what it is. I don't know. Investing in like EVs or something. But the point being is that we, a lot of times people look at situations. They're a little too late to the game because they weren't doing the proper research. And by the time they get into the game, the game move on. And then they end up holding the bag because even the people that own the company is trying to get up out of that. They're trying to sell it and move on and do something else with it, with the property, with the uh, infrastructure of what they created. And then here you are, I go to Airbnb. Sure. You got an empty house that you don't live in in a bad neighborhood you don't want to live in. So what you do? 
try to sell it. Now, that's not a housing market is jacked because you selling houses at a lesser price than they were worth when you bought it. And I mean, now you might get lucky, but depending on where your house is, it may not be worth as much, especially when you upside down because you got a loan, a specific type of loan to try to get that house. This is the crazy stuff people be doing. And it might sound like, oh, not me, man. Don't kid yourself. We've all made mistakes and we've all made moves a little too late and had to learn that hard lesson on why I shouldn't have done that. But I didn't know at the time. And depending on how far you go in, this could create an issue for you and your family, your spouse or whatever, because just so happens that you're the weakling. You're the person keeps coming up with these high brain schemes and put them in further debt and have your girl bail you out because she she got steady income and you over here trying to be a landlord. To whoever that may apply to, the point isn't that like you're thrown away in the trash. It's identify your weakness. You have impulse control and you're late to the party. So do some pre-research. Get ahead of, of one of these games and get in early or don't get in at all. Take a sure bet, something that could build money slowly or something that can put you in a better position long term. Because every time people try to make a quick buck, some people do. And then sometimes it blows up in their face. Remember all the people was doing PPP loan scams? A lot of them was taking that money and buying houses with it and then putting these houses on Airbnb or trying to sell them or flip them, whatever they were doing. Just late to the game. The rules have changed. The people have moved on. Now the thing is this. Now they're on to that thing. So keep that in mind as you playing around in your little games and figuring out what you want to do. Identify weaknesses such as being late to the party and impulse control. I, I was listening to the remainder of that discussion and it even kind of started dawning on me that in our personal relationships this could be the case that we have a group of friends like my friends was out in austin that not i don't think i have any weak links in my friend group but there are points where certain people are weaker than others and then vice versa we balance each other out but if we were real if we were really really being real holding our homies accountable we would identify those weak points to those guys sit them down and try to talk to them in a loving way and just discuss how we could actually help them improve that weak link. Just like we could sit and be receptive when they reciprocate and share the same type of information with me. I'm not one to shun or buck information. Uh, I receive information. Well, unless we debating about some opinion or something, but what I'm saying, and like, if you were to sit me down and say, hey, Mike, like, I don't know a lot about the housing market. I know because well, I, I don't own a house yet that I need more. I need to know more. And I'm oftentimes picking people's brains. Hey, you own a house. Well, you know what happened? How you got in? How you feeling nowadays? And even one of the crazy things like buying an Airbnb in Florida right now might be super crazy. We're into a hurricane season and insurance rates and flood insurance is going up. And here you are trying to jump in thinking you got some new hair brain schemed and, and you and a hundred and <laughs> hundreds of other people are like, we own it. We early and y'all late. <laughs> so, so just, I don't know, keep all that stuff in mind, but in your relationships, how do you address weakness in groups? Are people willing to sit down and have uncomfortable conversations during those uncomfortable conversations? Of course you have to share what your opinion is and truth with, with the utmost of candor. But you don't have to be hurtful and tear them down. And certainly you want to make sure that the info you're you're sharing is based on what you know to be facts and not opinions and not telling people they're doing something wrong just because they aren't doing it your way. But if you could 
like your team, the group of people you surround yourself with is a weak link game too. Because imagine being the strongest one in the group, but you don't have the power to face the next level. Then y'all just stay at the level y'all at. And y'all all fail together or whatever that looks like. Or you can either jump into other circles, try to learn something from over there and bring it back. But the point of it is at some point, information is going to have to be exchanged and people are going to have to share and discuss and add and plan and, and do those kinds of things. So address the weak links in your group, address the weak links in your circle, address the weak links in your, in your relationship. If y'all don't have a good connection, y'all ain't talking a lot or y'all ain't having sex a lot, or, uh, y'all don't spend a lot of time doing date nights or have similar plans. Like these are things that need to be addressed. I can't imagine it feels good to sit down and break some of this stuff down, but I know for sure avoiding them is the worst thing you can do. And that I'm a person that likes to face problems head on. I mean, this entire show is unfinished work. What do you do when you putting in work? You're tearing something down and trying to build it up in a better way. A sculptor is chiseling away all the unneeded materials. Um, if you're building something, you're taking materials from somewhere else and you put it together. It's hard work. It's backbreaking work. And sometimes when you chiseling away at yourself, it don't feel good. It don't feel good within your personal and your relationship or in your group. But on the other side is where the strength lies. This ain't a strong link game. Just because you thriving in your group and your homies is failing, then you probably messing up. And I'm not saying you got to carry them on your back. I'm saying address the weakness and let's get let's get the, the weakest one, bring them to the front and let's push them. With in love. <laughs> With that being said, let's move on to the next point. From an early age, vision has been taught to me in such a way that you don't want to be working like work smarter, not harder type of type of thing. But in order to work smart, you have to know the end game. And a lot of that involves just kind of having foresight to say, I see a problem. I can fix a problem. Uh, if my problem is lack of money, how do I secure that with a good idea and a good business? All of these require vision and you have to look inward and, and forge that vision within you and then share it with others and get people to jump on board to help push it forward. Not necessarily always your friends and family. Sometimes it requires other investors. Sometimes it requires employees or somebody to jump on board with your vision to help push it forward. And if you can't one, identify your vision, then two, articulate it in such a way where it sounds good. Then three, convince people to jump on board with it. You're, you're a man with sight and nobody to believe what you're saying. And that's pointless. Not that you can't do some of these things by yourself, maybe force people to see your vision, We've seen that a lot in like sports and celebrity and and even in, in some real life situations where people just willed their way with their dream and their in their and their sight. But also, like anything else, when you lift in something heavy, it's a lot easier when you got other people lifting with you, whether they're there for the money or they're there for the for the outcome or they're there for the uh, altruistic goal of it all. I think um, who was it? Jay Shetty was talking about working working from ignorance passion or anger and it's a similar thought process where basically you can identify people's motives by looking at what they get out of whatever it is that that they're trying to get and if they're working from a point of ignorance they're, they don't know what's happening they're just working to work if they're working from a point of anger they're mad about something they want to change it and if they're working from a point of passion then they're engaged in it and you as a vision 
holder have to be passionate about it. You have to believe in your dream and then share that with others. And then either they can be there for the money and gain or they could be there just out of pure. Like, I don't know. People said I had to work. So I came to work, whatever it is, share your vision, get people on board. And um, if you can't see if you don't have that vision, maybe jump on board with someone else's vision, maybe get a business partner, something to that effect. With that being said, I think I'm going to get up out of here. This was episode 12. We talk about weak links a little bit. Hopefully you got something out of this. Again, if you're still here, hit the like button and make sure you share, subscribe so you can come back week to week and do this work with us because I'm having fun over here, man. I'm, I'm building. I'm, last week was setbacks. The week before was this is happiness and that's life. Sometimes you're up and then you're down and, and then you got to work your way back again. Uh, but one other thing I wanted to say, and I'm actually going to read this direct. Someone said it and I felt like it, it actually connected. But when you're out there working and you're out there having a problem or you out there trying to solve something or do something, you should be serving people in some way. Even if it's for monetary gain, you providing a service means you exchange goods for service and you come up. But the thing that touched me was when it said um, we owe the people in our lives a gift of our struggles. We owe ourselves a challenge a challenge to overcome. And I'll say this, don't remain weak. Don't be the weak link. Identify and improve your personal weak links and you'll be a lot better for it. This is the unfinished work show. My creator is not done with me and he's not done with you either. Come back next week for episode 13. We're going to do some more work over there. See y'all next week.